This is a Charles Russell Speechley's podcast. Welcome to our latest property patter, which is today focusing on key issues of concern to those interested in residential property. My name is Emma Humphreys, and I'm joined by two of my colleagues from our real estate disputes team to discuss these issues, Lauren Fraser and Laura Bushaway. Listeners can't have failed to notice that the government continues to be very active in its review of the legal framework affecting the development, ownership and management of properties in the residential and mixed use sectors. Lauren, it's not long since the Queen's speech, so perhaps we'll start there, leaving aside the issues of building and fire safety. Were there any announcements on leasehold reform? Well, one of the key um, reforms announced, and this is following on from the Housing Secretary Robert Jenrick's press release in January of this year. Um, So the government has confirmed that it intends to introduce legislation fairly imminently to abolish ground rents in all but the most limited of cases. And the draft bill was actually released shortly after the Queen's speech, giving us some of the detail behind the proposals. Effectively, the bill prohibits landlords under a regulated lease from requiring a tenant to make a payment of a prohibited rent. So a prohibited rent is any rent which exceeds the permitted annual rent of one peppercorn. Um, And a regulated lease is a long lease of a dwelling granted after the legislation has come into force, which is an exempted lease, which isn't an exempted lease. So there are some exemptions to this and they include community housing leases. So this is just so that those entities retain the right to levy ground rent to maintain their ability to promote community activities. Um, Home finance plan leases, so these are, there are certain financial products which depend on leases where rent replaces interest bearing mortgage payments, so for example types of equity release and the Islamic finance sector, Um, then also business leases, and finally leases granted pursuant to the Leasehold Reform Act 1967 and the Leasehold Reform Housing and Urban Development Act 1993. Um, Now, an interesting thing that I think we've all noticed on this is that the government had originally indicated that retirement properties would be exempted um, based on evidence that they had that the supply of retirement developments would be negatively impacted if there was no exemption granted for the sector. This is this no longer stands, Um, although the bill does provide that it won't apply to retirement home leases any earlier than the 1st of April 2023. So that's intended to give the sector an additional transitional period to deal with the change. Any leases granted before the legislation comes into force won't be affected. Um, So the bill doesn't have retrospective effect, um, but it obviously will apply to existing leases where there is a surrender and regrant of that lease. However, there are provisions in the bill which will effectively preserve the status quo because they provide that the rent payable under the original lease can continue until the end of the term of that lease. So just as by way of an example, if a lease was granted before the legislation comes into force for 99 years, and then when there's 80 years left on the term remaining, it's surrendered and regranted for, say, 999 years, the rent payable under the new lease will be the same as that under the original lease for the 80 years, the first 80 years of the term. So the position is preserved effectively. So that's interesting that it's not retrospective, but also interesting, am I right, that it it therefore this ban doesn't apply to leasehold extensions? Yes, that's absolutely right. So um, taking firstly lease extensions under the leasehold 
the leasehold reform housing and urban development act 1993 the way that statute works is that um the rent after the the grant of the new lease is immediately reduced to a peppercorn and the landlord is is compensated um, for that um, by way of a statutory mechanism. Um, Obviously that's something that's being looked at in detail by the Law Commission as to and so we can expect developments in relation to that in due course so it's not so surprising that that's carved out. Um, What is interesting is um, that they've also carved out lease extensions under the Leasehold Reform Act 1967 which is where there is a lease extension um, in relation to a house. Now, in those cases, the rent is not reduced to a a peppercorn. Instead, um, the rent applicable is what's known as a modern ground rent. And actually, they can get extremely high, particularly in central London, and are quite controversial. Um, So it it seems like the government may have sort of ducked this issue to be dealt with more generally with leasehold reform legislation. I don't know what you think, Laura. Um, Yeah, I think that's right. And I think as ever, it probably shows that until we actually saw the bill, you know, the devil is in the detail. You know, it's interesting what um, aspects have been carved out. um, And it's interesting to sort of see whether that was mentioned at the stage before the bill was actually introduced. And I think it's interesting to find these little little points. Yeah, definitely. And, And do we know how this is all going to be enforced? So, um, These provisions can either be enforced by the local authority who have the power to levy financial sanctions of up to £5,000 against landlords who demand payment of prohibited rents, together with interest on any rent which has been paid and received. But what's helpful is that tenants are also entitled to apply for a refund of any prohibited rent that they may have paid by way of an application to the first tier tribunal. And they're also entitled to um, require interest to be paid on that sum. I'm sure that so that's that's an aspect that really just became clear in the draft bill. And I'm sure it will be really welcomed by leaseholders because local authorities can be notoriously slow um, to take this sort of enforcement action because they just don't have the resources to pursue it vigorously. Um, I mean, I should also say that we are seeing a move away from ground rent based models. So it will be interesting to see the extent to which these enforcement procedures are sort of needed and, and pursued. Um, And obviously, I have to flag that this is just a bill. um, And obviously, it's being debated in Parliament at the moment, all subject to any changes. um, And so I just say, watch this space, we'll be covering it closely. Yes, that's a very good point. Of course, things can change as it goes through Parliament. But um, yeah, that's that's I mean, it's it's absolutely right what you say. I'm sure if it had been left to just local authorities, I'm sure local authorities themselves would have groaned, to be honest, because they've got a lot on their plates and um, not much money to do it with. So I'm sure leaseholders will be pleased to see that they um, they may be getting some some teeth but uh, as you said we'll have to see how how needed those teeth are um and are there any leasehold reforms which weren't mentioned in this queen's speech do we know what's happening with some things that perhaps we were hoping to see laura so interestingly yes there were we've been tracking the reforms in the leasehold arena since the publication of the government's housing white paper back in february 2017 and at that stage one of the government's earliest proposals was to introduce legislation to ban the creation of leasehold houses and this would mean it would be no longer possible to create new leases um, so new long leases of existing or new build houses And then in June 2019, the government published its response to its 2018 consultation implementing reforms to the leasehold system in England. 
And this response contains significant detail setting out the restrictions to the sale of leasehold houses and even an outline of the types of buildings falling in within the concept of a house. And in tandem with that proposal, the government also announced an intention to introduce a right of first refusal for leaseholders of houses as currently exists for leaseholders of flats. However, the Queen's speech didn't mention either proposal. And having reviewed the draft ground rent legislation, which Lauren's just described, this doesn't appear to have been included um, within that legislation either. So we'll have to wait and see how the government intends to proceed on that. And then the other area um, where we were expecting uh, to see possible developments in the not too distant future was concerning lease extensions. Um, the government announced in January this year that leaseholders will be given the right to extend the lease of a house or a flat by up to 990, uh, sorry, 990 years with ground rent reduced to a peppercorn and changes to the way uh, premiums will be calculated. So at the moment, um, leaseholders can acquire a statutory lease extension of 90 years um, on payment of a premium calculated under the statutory provisions. And this was part of the Law Commission's overall proposals on enfranchisement, right to manage and common hold last year. But the government has so far indicated um, only that lease extensions will be increased to 990 years for a lower premium, uh, but it's it's not clear when we can expect to see legislation on this and in fact the government's kind of more um, encompassing report in terms of how they respond to all the particular recommendations that were made hasn't yet sort of um, been published. Probably because there's a lot to think about. Um, <laughs> not, not an easy area is it? Um, and I mean alongside all of this leasehold reform which is certainly a very active area um, there's been a lot of discussion around the Law Commission's proposal for common hold to replace leasehold as the main form of home ownership for residential flats. Um, now does the government agree with the Law Commission and can we expect any imminent developments? Well, going back to the press release um, that I mentioned um, in January, uh, we can see that the government is fully behind the Law Commission's proposals for a move towards common hold. Um, and they put forward a plan to form a common hold council, which is going to be made up of leasehold stakeholders to prepare homeowners and the residential market for take up of common hold. Um, and so the makeup of that council was announced on the 13th of May, and it includes the Leasehold Knowledge Partnership, the National Leasehold Campaign, UK Finance and the British Property Federation. Um, now, I have seen some commentary mentioning the absence of ARMA, so the Association of Residential Managing Agents. Um, and I have to say, it does seem to me to be a bit of an omission because they are likely to have some very practical, relevant experience to comment on management issues. Um, so I think basically it'll be interesting to see the approach that the council takes and what they come out with. However, there is absolutely no getting away from the fact that as with um, enfranchisement legislation, there is just an enormous legislative exercise to be undertaken um, to implement the Law Commission's proposals. And the only indication that we've got in terms of timing from the government are in due course and as soon as possible, which is obviously as clear as mud and very helpful um, for, our, for our sort of uh, crystal ball gazing. Legislative heavy lifting aside, I think both Laura and I are of the view that the proposed move towards common hold is not necessarily going to remove all of the issues that the Law Commission has identified with leasehold. I mean, just because people live in the same building does not mean that they will agree on how it should be managed. I think we've all got experience of these kinds of issues that we can draw on. Um, 
there are also increasing building safety obligations which building owners are going to have to take on which introduce much more onerous burdens um, than existing homeowners may be used to um, and, and on that point I should just say that um, the firm has a building and fire safety hub which has all latest news and insights in that particular area. Yes, there's a lot going on there. And there's a lot there to think about for people, isn't there? I mean, Common Hold, you know, I remember when Common Hold was introduced and, you know, that, that frankly is about the last I've heard of it. Um, I think the educational piece is going to be really crucial because, I mean, from what I've heard, um, and obviously I'm not involved on the transactional side of things so much, but, you know, from what I've heard, the problem is that mortgagees don't feel comfortable with it. So if you can't get the mortgage, you, you know, it just doesn't, it doesn't get off the ground, does it? So, no, I completely agree. Um common hold as it currently stands is obviously not attractive to lenders and needs a complete overhaul and that's why we haven't seen common hold buildings um, and the law commission has gone a long way to putting forward proposals that would address some of the concerns but what's clear is that there is a massive exercise that's required in order to implement that which will be very complicated um, and needs to work properly in order to justify all of the time um, that's going to be put in to make it happen um I mean what do you think Laura? Yes I mean I think the amount of parliamentary time cannot be um understated um, and I also think there's a whole sort of um strand around kind of um financial incentives or whether the government compels um, those involved in the property industry to actually adopt the common hold structure um going forward because there's probably going to need to be something quite fundamental to shift from leasehold to common hold absolutely yeah people are always more comfortable with what they know I mean you know we've, we've seen this as well with the you know the situation recently with the cladding you know it's all very well you can in- introduce all sorts of rules and and what have you but actually if if the lenders aren't on board with it if you haven't got people who can afford to buy houses or flats because they can't get the lending you know it just doesn't work so it has got to be a collaborative piece hasn't it I suppose is what I'm saying um Okay, Uh, in our, let's move on to a slightly different area, because in our last Essential Residential podcast, which we recorded last year, um, what a fun year that was, um, there were significant changes on the horizon um, for assured shorthold tenancies and the Section 21 process. And listeners will probably remember that before the coronavirus pandemic, do we remember that? Um, there was a two months notice which could be served to obtain possession of a residential property. Those were the days. Um, the coronavirus pandemic has seen notice periods increased to six months. Um, so that's quite a fundamental change. Laura, was there any mention of those changes in the Queen's speech? And do we have any idea how long these changes are likely to be with us? Yes, the Queen's speech referred to enhancing the rights of those to rent and the background briefing documents make it clear that the government's plan to abolish assured shorthold tenancies which I think we discussed um, during our podcast last year and the ability for a landlord to serve a section 21 notice which is this uh, so-called no-fault evictions remains firmly on the government's agenda and this will mean um, if this is introduced um, a landlord will need to prove a statutory ground for possession in order to seek possession of a residential property let on a short tenancy there are currently existing statutory grounds such as arrears of rent breach of a tenancy agreement um, nuisance or antisocial behavior but the government plans to sort of bolster those grounds um, and include um, some new ones such as where a landlord intends to sell a property that would be a ground for possession 
Again, um, the details going to be in the legislation itself, which hasn't yet been published, and it's not entirely clear when that will be available, um, potentially in the uh, next year. So to some extent, I think this is going to depend on the current coronavirus pandemic and what happens with the restrictions that you just mentioned. Um, as we record this, the eviction ban has been lifted um, since the 31st of May, and we um, are also now seeing shorter notice periods which came into force on the 1st of June. So notice periods are largely uh, reduced to four months. However, I suspect that we're probably not going to see any draft legislation until after the coronavirus restrictions in relation to residential properties are completely lifted. And I was actually recently looking at a, a government policy paper um, which said, um, and it was about the abolition of Section 21, and that said that the government will legislate, but it will make sure first that our legislation considers the impact of the pandemic is balanced and achieves the right outcomes for the rented sector. So I take that very much as a sort of hint that until we are beyond the coronavirus pandemic and the restrictions that have affected residential property, I think the government will then turn its mind to um, the plan to abolish Section 21. Well, it'll be very interesting to see what happens. I mean, it's it's sort of quite s s slightly concerning, really, the, um, the the extent to which these changes might come in. But I guess, as you say, we're going to have to wait to see that the devil will be in the detail, won't it? Um, and are there any reforms which the government is any other reforms which the government is proposing for the private rented sector? So as well as abolishing Section 21, as, as Laura mentioned, um, in, in the detail of the Queen's speech, the government set out various other proposals to enhance the rights of renters. Um, there's, there's some more information in the background briefing notes that Laura mentioned. Um, I should just say that these bear a startling resemblance to the renters' reforms sent out in the December 2019 Queen's speech, so I'd be hesitant to say that this change is imminent. Um, however, the government has promised to deliver various renters' reforms, um, including proposals for a lifetime tenancy deposit model. So this means that a deposit could be moved from one tenancy to the next. Um, renters often find it difficult to put down a deposit for a new property before the return of their existing deposit. And that's because as that can be quite stretching financially. So that seems like quite a sensible proposal. That does um, seem quite sensible for once, doesn't it? I mean, I can see the logic behind that. And I'm sure, you know, that that's not an unreasonable suggestion, actually. Is it something that would carry across? Exactly, exactly. You think that that's something that can find a balance between both tenants and landlords interests um, and just sort of reach a fair solution. Definitely. Um, there are also um, planned reforms to drive improvements in standards in rented accommodation generally. Um, so this includes exploring the merits of a landlord register um, with a view to driving out criminal landlords and requiring landlords to belong to a redress scheme. So to ensure that all tenants have a right of redress. Um, and there is also an, a proposal to explore improvements and possible efficiencies to the court possession process to make it quicker and easier to use, um, which I'm sure we would all be very grateful for. Um, and it will it will be pretty critical for landlords if the Section 21 procedure is removed as planned. Um, now, further detail on these reforms are due to be covered in a white paper this autumn. So um, we will be following and um, letting people know what's going on. Yes, very interesting. As you say, we would all welcome some court reforms, but um, I'm not quite sure how they're going to achieve that at the moment. We can't even get Maidstone County Court to pick up the phone most of the time. So um, 
do call us back, Maidstone County Court, if you're listening. Um, <laughs> but uh, yes, well, I, I think we'd all be in favour of that area of change. Now, of course, we focus today on the significant changes which are on the horizon here, but I'm interested to know if there are any recent interesting decisions which those involved in the residential sector should be aware of. Um, so perhaps, Laura, to finish up, um, you'd like to uh, recommend one case that people should uh, should have perhaps have a read of um, if they've got a bit of spare time. Um, yes. Um... The Court of Appeal recently handed down judgment in a very interesting case that I've been talking to the team um, a lot about recently, um, and that's Astor and Chapman, and that will be of interest to those involved in the residential long leasehold sector. And it's all about the consultation procedure which um, landlords of long residential leases must follow when carrying out major works or entering into qualifying long-term agreements under Section 20 of the Landlord and Tenant Act 1985. And this this follows a very important case from a number of years ago where the Supreme Court held that um, dispensation from the consultation requirements could be granted on terms. And the test for whether to grant dispensation was whether there was real prejudice to the tenants if the consultation procedure hadn't been fully complied with. And that was the landmark decision of Dejan and Benson. But what um, the Court of Appeal were given the opportunity to do in Astor and Chapman was to have a look at what sort of conditions can be attached to the grant of dispensation. So in this case, the landlord had failed to refer expressly to balcony works in the Section 20 Notice of Intention to Carry Out Works. And that's the first stage notice which a landlord serves that sets out a description of the works that they're intending to carry out. And the um, tribunal imposed conditions to the grant of dispensation. And those were that the landlord had to pay the reasonable costs of an expert nominated by the lessees to advise them on the necessity of replacing all of the balcony asphalt at the buildings. The second condition was that the landlord was to pay the lessee's reasonable costs of the application. And the third condition was that the costs of the application were not recoverable by the landlord from the lessees through the service charge. The landlord objected to the first and second conditions, but the Court of Appeal upheld all of the conditions attached to the grant of dispensation. So the property tribunal appears to have, I think from this case, a very wide discretion to grant dispensation on terms which they consider fit, provided they're appropriate. And here, the Court of Appeal found that the conditions the tribunal had imposed were appropriate in the circumstances. Very interesting. I'm sure uh, there'll be a lot of uh, listeners who go and look that one up. So we'll make sure that we um, we put a, a link to the, the judgment uh, on our website when we publish this podcast. Um, well, it's certainly clear residential property is experiencing unprecedented and fast paced change. And of course, as ever, we are tracking these changes on our essential residential hub. If you haven't had a chance to look at it yet, I do urge you to do so. It's a fantastically user friendly area to keep up to date um, with this fast moving area. So please do head to the website um, to see the details there or feel free to contact Lauren, Laura or any member of the Charles Russell Speechley's team to find out more about how to keep up to date with the latest developments. In the meantime, stay safe and we hope you are enjoying your explorations of the roadmap out of lockdown. This is a Charles Russell Speechley's podcast.